Bloody Good Film Podcast! Welcome to a podcast about the only two genres of film that matter. Action and horror! I'm your host, Jesse. With me, as always, our snowboarding expert, Josh. This is the Bloody Good Film Podcast, and today we're talking about Frozen. Now, before all you Disney fanatics get excited, there's not going to be any snowmen, no princesses, no singing. We're not letting anything go. This is not the Disney Frozen. This is the 2010 horror frozen and josh i'm a huge mortal kombat fan and mortal kombat finally released their first real trailer that we get to see did you get a chance to see it no i didn't see this yeah it's still considered a teaser trailer it's like a minute and a half but it introduces the new character all the characters in mortal kombat has to choose from they thought it was in their best interest just to write a brand new Eva May fighter is the main character for the movie. Wait, they don't have a character from the game. They made an original character. Is this like Resident Evil? Yeah, brand new original character who's going to be the main character. That's fucking stupid. So it does look like it is going to be violent. And that was one of the things that I was worried about. We finally have the R rating. They do show a quick fatality, like as the end of the trailer fades off. And it makes me hopeful that it's going to be all the violent goodness that we like. But the trailer itself, it looks like it's going to be good. If you get away from the fact that it's an unknown character, the trailer starts off with Ancient Times, Sub-Zero versus Scorpion. And it's like this big woodsy frozen battle scene. That goes into the lore. That's cool. But go go on, go on. Tell me how this isn't stupid bullshit. I'm not going to lie to you and say that it might not be. I hate the fact that, you know, this series has 60 different characters that they could have made a main character. But it looks like the central story is going to follow this redemption story for this MMA guy who teams up with Jax, who is not Michael Jai White. It's not. It's not Michael Jai White. I know all the early indications was that it was going to be Michael Jai White. I can't think of the actor's name now, but it is not Michael Jai White. There's so much wrong with this. I was hopeful about this. So we don't have Michael J. White. I assume we don't have Christopher Lambert. Is there anybody in this that matters? Well, the big redeeming quality that we do have, we do have Joe Taslam, who's playing Sub-Zero. You may know him from The Raid, The Night That Comes For Us. Uh, I guess I can let that go, but I'm less enthusiastic the more I hear about this right now. All of the early indications kind of had who was in the movie. Uh, Sonya Blade's going to be in the movie. You know, Liu Kang, Scorpion, all the main ones. Shang Tsung's going to be the big bad guy. Of course, Raiden's in there. Two things had me a little leery. One is they have Kano as what appears to be a good guy. Wait, what? Yeah, he seems to be hanging out with our MMA new guy and Sonya Blade and Jax. Maybe he's going to be deceitful and he's going to go over the other side Maybe his eyeball is going to be glowing green, and then suddenly when he's bad, it starts glowing red. I could get behind that, at least. That's what we're hoping for. And then the last thing, my favorite character in Mortal Kombat. Or actually, Josh, who's your favorite character? It's Raiden. It's mostly influenced by the original movie, because Christopher Lambert is the man. So I've always had a crush on Katana. Like, in all the games, even back in the old bad graphics days. Something about her with the fans and the outfit. I've always had a crush on Katana. I think Raiden could have pulled that outfit off way better, but go on. (laughs) They do cut very split second at the end of the trailer. We do get a quick Katana cut where she's opening up this chest. Her chest or a chest? A chest, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. So I'm hopeful. As a big Mortal Kombat fan, 
I'm hopeful that this movie doesn't suck. The new character has me worried more than anything else, but it looks like it's going to be full of action. It looks like there's going to be gore. So I'm hoping that makes up for it. Are you positive it's a new character, not just like some obscure character? Because I, I haven't kept track of every single new Mortal Kombat character. I've peeked in here and there throughout the series, but I haven't played every single game. I can confirm. It is a brand new character. Oh, that's fucking bullshit. I was excited about it when I heard they were doing a radar Mortal Kombat, but this bothers me way more than it should, considering I'm a casual fan. The character's name is Cole Young. He's a washed-up mixed martial arts fighter. Cole Young. That's that's not even a cool name. Like, if they were going to make a Mortal Kombat movie, it needs to be centered around one of two characters. It needs to be either Liu Kang or Johnny Cage, because there's an arc to both of those that works very well. I don't want any newbies. Like, they kind of made it work with Resident Evil, I think, because I never really played the games. But uh, Mortal Kombat, it, that's part of my childhood. That's been around since I learned what violence was. I don't think they could be adding new characters into this shit. Well, and Johnny Cage isn't even in the movie, as far as I know. Like, they haven't shown him in any of the stills. He wasn't in the trailer. I almost did a spit take when you said that. Johnny Cage isn't in this Mortal Kombat movie? How the fuck did they ignore Johnny Cage? He's been in since the first game. Like, every single character that was in the very first game needs to be in this movie. They could be hiding it. We could get a big surprise Johnny Cage, but I haven't seen who played Johnny Cage. I haven't seen anything about it. It better be John claude Van Damme if they're going to be hiding this, because you know Johnny Cage was originally based off of John claude Van Damme. Yeah, but imagine Jean claude Van Damme hitting on Sonya Blade with his accent. Yeah, and there would have been a sex scene in the first movie if that's what happened. It wouldn't have even been written. <laughs> Bridget Wilson, we just would have heard him, Hey, Sonya Blade, fuck me. And then instantly, Bridget Wilson... Ripping off her clothes. I almost forgot to say what I was doing because I mimed the ripping off the clothes. It would have been instant. It would have been a great movie. It would have been radar, but with Bridget Wilson in there, nobody would say anything about it. They wouldn't have tried to market this to children. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. The movie comes out in April, so it's coming up. Oh, shit, really? It's coming out April 16th, HBO Max. It says theaters, but you know we'll cross our fingers for that. We're like in the LA-ish area. It's probably not coming to us because everybody's touching everybody and coughing all over everybody. But like in Kansas where there's like five people, so there's nobody to get in the way of social distancing, they'll probably get it in theaters, but we won't. So we'll see. We'll see how it is. I'm going to keep my hopes high and just expect to be disappointed. It looks like they have actual martial artists for some of the characters, so hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's violent. Hopefully this new character doesn't suck, but we'll see. I'm hoping you're just underselling the hell out of this. Cause, uh, I was excited about this movie, and then just every little nugget of information that you dropped on me besides uh, Katana's chest has been terrible. It's completely talked me out of this movie. But watch the trailer, because the trailer does a good job getting you hyped up for it. You know, if you take away the story points and some of the other little things, the trailer itself is cut really well, and it actually makes the movie look like it's going to be good. If it has enough kicks to the face, I can get by on kicks to the face. So maybe, maybe. But all right, enough of Mortal Kombat. I don't know if you saw this news, but this news rocked me to my core. This is the dumbest idea, and I'm not against remakes in general. But did you see that they just greenlit a face-off remake? <laughs> I actually did see that. The only reason I saw it is because I saw you post about it. So once I saw you post about it, I made sure I went to kind of do some research to see what they were thinking about it. It seems like a bad idea. It, it's it's the director of King Kong vs. Godzilla. I don't think I've seen any of his shit. I think he, they listed some of the stuff. He's apparently a good director. But this movie is held on the back of Nicolas Cage and John Woo. The premise is completely bonkers. It never should have been as good as it is. It's somehow is one of the greatest action movies of all time. But that's because of Nicolas Cage is completely committed into this role. John Woo knows how to do gung-fu like nobody else. And John Travolta's okay. 
But it is such a great movie because of the over-the-top actors and the fact that it's such a ridiculous premise and they play it completely straight-faced. I don't think we're in a climate for that. I don't think we have a director that knows how to do that right now. And I cannot think of any actors that would be interesting to see in those roles. Because I know, like, originally it was supposed to be Sylvester Stallone and Arnold. And young Arnold and young Sylvester Stallone, I'd be interested in seeing that movie if they actually got them back for it. But right now, I don't know any young action stars that I give a shit about. Well, and none that come to mind that is really going to pour themselves into this role. Because the whole thing that makes Face Off so good is that for some reason, both Travolta and Cage really bought into the movie and went all out with it. Like, this is prime Cage. Cage, you can see, read the script and was like, hell yeah, watch this. And just went into it with everything that Cage had. I mean, you said prime Cage. I'm going to take a little exception. It is absolutely my favorite Nicolas Cage movie, so like maybe you could say prime Cage based off of that. But Nicolas Cage has been great for since before Face Off till now. He never left his prime. He's just done some shitty movies. It was never his fault. But he full on went into this movie. Like I've tried to come up with actors that could fit this. And the best actors I could think that would be good for this movie. I have Frank Grillo and I have Scott Atkins. And I, I'd want Frank Grillo and John Travolta as Sean, the Sean Archer part where he's the good guy, eventually switching over to the cast of Troy. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoilers for a 20-year-old movie. And then uh, Scott Atkins would start out as Caster Troy, and then eventually he'd be in the Sean Archer position after their faces have been swapped. The only reason why this works, I don't think Frank Grillo has the... Uh, martial arts training he's badass in like the purge movies and shit but uh the way they make this weird is scott atkins would be like this martial arts villain and frank Grillo would be more like a street brawler and they could make it interesting in switching their action styles when the faces have been swapped that's where i think they could go and interesting i don't think they have anybody in the extreme way of acting of nicholas cage and john travolta but they could have extreme difference in their action styles and that might be interesting i could definitely see scott atkins in that part scott atkins is used to weird scripts and not great scripts so i could totally see him pulling it off i love frank grillo i wish he'd be in more i think he could be a really good action star if he was given the right stuff he's almost always villains and he's better than that he's just got a creepy face he does have a creepy face, and I, th- I do think he could do better. I don't know if he could do face-off. Do you have a, a face-off idea since you did some research when you saw me complain about this? <laughs> I really don't. I was racking my brain, and Scott Atkins came to my mind. And I was like, oh, okay, he's been in a lot of movies where he's overacted, and I think I want someone that's going to overact, but it's tough. I can't think of who I would want to put next to him. This isn't a remake that's a good idea. Like, Despite the fact that I, I think there's a way to kind of make it work, you're always going to want to go back to the original because that is an example of one of the perfect action movies. It ranks up in my top five for straight action movies. Like that and The Rock, perfect. And Nicolas Cage sold both of those. Oh, I love The Rock. We'll have to do The Rock on this podcast because I freaking love that movie. We're absolutely doing The Rock. We're going to do every single Nicolas Cage movie that I can think of because I feel like I'm a Nicolas Cage apologist because I'm always selling him to other people. Like, on dates, if a girl has said anything bad to say about Nicolas Cage, I feel like i got to educate her on why her opinion is wrong. It might be why I have terrible uh, luck with uh, relationships because all I'm doing is, you're a stupid bitch. Nicholas Cage is good for these reasons, and then I state those correct reasons. So we don't know too much about it, because the news just dropped that it was coming out today. Do you think it's going to be a straight-up remake, or do you think it's going to be a sequel, kind of the way that we had with uh, Sudden Death? Sudden Death ended up being a fucking remake. I was wrong on that. I've already admitted to being wrong on that. But from what I'm hearing, this is going to be a straight-up remake. If they do it, I hope they don't try to stick too close to it. Like, keep the names the same, and that's about it. 
try to make their own spin on it. I don't know. We'll have to see, kind of like with Mortal Kombat. There's really nothing we could do about it. We'll have to keep track on the news and see if we figure out who these actors are going to be, and we'll bring it back up in the podcast and complain about whoever they choose. This will definitely be brought up again. Like We've been a little slow on the news just because uh, nothing's going on because the world's ending, but uh looks like things are going to start picking back up again. All right. Are we ready to go into Frozen now? Let it go, Josh. <laughs> you fucking dumbass. Okay. <laughs> okay, I, I got the premise all written out. Three friends decide to hit the slopes for the weekend. There's Dan, Dan's girlfriend Parker, and his best friend Iceman Lynch. When they persuade a lift operator to let them go up the hill for one ride before the close of the week, they end up forgotten and stranded with hungry wolves circling below them. I was trying to capture the mood where it started out like a comedy and went into like straight horror. I think I did well. I followed you. I was with you pretty much the whole way. So, Josh, you've been snowboarding, right? One time. <laughs> Worst fucking experience of my life. And I tried so hard to act like I was having a good time, but fuck that shit. So, Josh and I used to work together. We used to get free snowboarding tickets. And it was fun. I've snowboarded no. for many, many years, so I love it. Josh had never been. Josh didn't seem like he really wanted to go, but we kind of made him go anyway. And we got about halfway through before you decided you just wanted to go into the lodge and drink. And that was the best part. I got like four beers while you guys were on the slopes, and I loved that part. Nothing like a good ice-cold beer in the nice warm lodge looking at all the people snowboarding. My whole body was in pain the next day. Because I used to uh, ride my bike to work every day. One of my friends is like, you're going to drive. You're going to be in too much pain to ride your bicycle. And of course, I rode my bicycle. It was like a 10-mile ride. And about three miles into the bike ride, I got a flat tire. So I'm limping from the snowboarding and limping my bike all the way to the store where we worked. It was the fucking dumbest experience. You should have known that it was going to be a rough day from the start. Because we went snowboarding from work. We used to work early. We got off, decided to take a trip up to go snowboarding. So we all got dressed, put our snowboarding stuff on, hopped in the truck. Josh hopped in the truck, and... and my <laughs> fucking pants exploded. Like, I, I'm, re- I'm, I'm trying to lift my, my leg up to the, the truck, and I guess I, my pants were just a little too tight, and they just fucking exploded like from the middle of my crush probably down to my knees my pants were just <laughs> wide the fuck open uh, you hadn't even been in the snowboarding pants 15 minutes before they split right down the middle oh no that wasn't snowboarding pants that was my jeans i had to get the snowboarding pants on early just so that i wouldn't be walking around with my dick hanging out the entire day <laughs> Uh, so Josh, your first time snowboarding, we went up and down the lift a few times. At any point, did you think you were going to fall off the lift? No, the lift wasn't that bad. Like I had gotten some warning about how you're supposed to sit onto it. And I was worried about being one of those jackasses, which I even mentioned the jackasses that don't know how to get on the lift. Right. First try, it was a little awkward, but it wasn't that hard. At any point, did you think you were going to get stuck on the lift? No, but I don't think anything bad's ever going to happen to me. I'm pretty much uh, an immortal. So, how cheap do you have to be to not buy a lift ticket and instead try to bribe somebody? I don't know. I never paid for a lift ticket. That was the one time I went was uh, when we got free tickets from work. How much does that shit even cost? It depends. Back east, it's probably more expensive because they have actual snow and stuff like that. Here, for us, you're looking at about 100 bucks if you want to spend a day out on the slopes. That's how much they ended up paying anyways. Oh, was that the joke? <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's more expensive other places than California since we have fake snow and warm temperatures. But whatever it was, they gave them 100 bucks for three people. So I guess that's a pretty good deal. But why not just pay a lift ticket? I mean, they had to get their, their motivation, their weirdness in. 
they had this guy in an awkward position, and they utilized that to get themselves stuck later on. I like these characters. I'm just going to say this. like All three characters felt extremely real to me. We've, we've all had that friend kind of disappeared when they got into a relationship. We've all had uh, had to deal with the girl that uh, that the friend is dating when they bring her along, and and like you don't want to have any resentment to her, but there's a little something there. Like you you, you kind of like her, but there's like an odd out on her, and all these relationships felt completely real. This movie could have bombed right away if these three characters sucked. Like if you don't like these characters or you know find any sense of realism in. This movie is going to suck, and it's going to suck fast. Because there's only three characters for the most part in the whole movie. More if you count the wolves, but we'll kind of get to that later on down the road. But I like the characters too. Zac Efron, I don't know what his real name, and I really don't remember what his character name is. Because as soon as I saw him, he looks like a budget Zac Efron. So all my notes say Zac Efron. The middle man is Dan. Dan's the one that had the girlfriend and had the best friend. Is that your Zac Efron? Yeah, that's who it is. Dan... Dan is Zac Efron. He looks like a poor man Zac Efron. He acts like a poor man Zac Efron. And then his best friend... Sean Ashmore? Yeah, Sean Ashmore. I had him as Iceman because he's Iceman in the X-Men movies. And then uh, because I'm I'm a big nerd from way back in the day, he played Jake as leader of the Animorphs in the Animorphs TV show back in Nickelodeon days. By the way, those books still fucking hold up despite the fact that they're made for like third graders. The actors are good on this. Uh, what's the name of the director? Something Adam Green does a good job on the direction. We're going to have to see some more of his movies. I kind of saw a little bit of Hatchet, but I fell asleep while I was watching it. So I don't know if it's actually a good movie or not. I've had it on in the background, I think, twice. But I've never actually watched it, so I can't confirm or deny if it's good. From what I hear, it's supposed to be right up our alley, so we'll have to check it out. I think it's Kane Hodder, and I know Danielle Harris is in that, like the Halloween 4, 5, and then a couple of Steven Seagal movies and uh, The Last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis and Marlon Wayne. She's, she's, she's been around, but like, yeah, there's, there's, good, there's good people in it. I just got to see if they're actually good while I'm wide awake. <laughs> Honestly, like the dialogue in this movie is good. Like it has like a bunch of the dialogue that real people would have. Like I especially feel for Sean Ashmore, maybe because I'm a third wheel in a lot of situations, so I gotta relate to Sean Ashmore. His dialogue was perfect. Like he he's not trying to be a dick to Parker, the the girl there, but this is a tradition that's normally between him and Dan, and Dan brought his girlfriend along, and she doesn't have the skill that they have and like kind of get in the way, but he's not, he's he's absolutely not trying to be a dick about it. Although occasionally he does accidentally fall into that rain. And they work really well together. All three of them. Like we've all been in that situation. Every guy has a friend that just breaks the bro code when he gets a girlfriend and he just disappears. And Iceman kind of calls him out about it. He's like, well, I haven't seen you. You haven't come over to watch football. You haven't come over to hang out ever since you got this girlfriend. And then, He's kind of complaining about her, and next thing you know, they're all kind of stuck together with nowhere to go, and that's when all the the problems start slowly seeping out. Okay, we got to go into the the perfect storm on this problem. They've been snowboarding the bunny hill for a while, and Sean Ashmore wants to do a real run. Bunny hill sounds fine to me, but fuck him, he wants to do something a little crazier. So they go back to the guy that they bribed to get them the, not free, but cheaper ski lift uh, tickets. And they bribe him into letting them on the last run. They're about ready to close up for the night. I I would think you're really fucking pushing your luck on this. There's nobody around, but they want to go onto the ski lift. They bribe him. They get on the ski lift. He gets caught away. Tells the guy to cover him. The guy that covers him. Doesn't know what they look like. Sees three people that had just come down the hill. And he thinks everything's perfect. So power off. They're stuck. That actually, for being such a crazy concept and a crazy reasoning for them getting stuck out there on the lift, it actually works pretty well. Like they come and get the guy and the guy's complaining about not getting a weekend off that he was supposed to have off. So he goes to the office to talk to the guy. The other guy clearly doesn't want to be there sees people and then just locks up shop 
it sounds like it shouldn't work, but in the scheme of the movie, like it works really well and it was believable. I could like, well, I could kind of see that happening. I'm going to disagree on this one part because uh, he, he has to radio up to the top where there's going to be somebody working the lift and getting an account on the people. The guy in the bottom seeing three people go down, but the guy at the top, whoever's working the top is going to absolutely see no if there's they told me that three more were coming up those three more never fucking came up i don't quite buy this in the real world but i'll accept it for the movie it could be because we see the three people coming down we don't know how fast they came down maybe they had just gotten to the top when he called that out and the guy thought he was just lagging behind a little bit so he let those people gone down and then closed up shop on his end up top i think you're reaching but i guess maybe that could happen Okay, so one of the first conversations that they have when they're going up on this lift, which was surprisingly quick getting into this, was what is the worst way to die? Like, they're talking about this. The lift is just barely stopped. They're not, like, actually contemplating their mortality. They're just, like, random conversation starter. What is the worst way to die? They come up with some interesting ones. One of the ones I want to bring up is because they brought it up is they have the Sarlacc pit from Star Wars. That has never made sense to me, so I, I want to go on a rant here. They talk about you slowly digesting for a thousand years. It doesn't make sense. You, you don't have a thousand-year lifespan. It doesn't matter how slow it takes for you to digest. You're fucking dead. So there's going to be a certain point, probably within, like, at most a couple of days... You're fucking dead. You're not actually being slowly, painfully devoured for a thousand years. I've never actually looked at it like that. I always hear people mention the Sarlacc pit and how awful of an experience it would be. And I guess your mind just kind of subconsciously assumes that you're going to be around for the thousand years that you're being digested. But yeah, it makes total sense that once you're in there, I guess that's it. It's only going to be a couple days. At most, I feel like you're going to die of like shock earlier than that. I'll give you. An hour of intense torture, and then you're dead. But yeah, fine. They, they want to bring that up. I told you to question your morality because I'm like, we or mortality. We gotta bring this up. Did you have the worst way to, that you would have to die? Yeah, I thought about it, and they mentioned drowning, which seems awful. And then they mention burning alive, and to me, burning alive seems like the worst way to die. You have smoke, so your lungs are just inhaling smoke and smoke and smoke there's the uncomfortableness of just being hot not necessarily on fire but just overwhelmed by flames and heat and then god forbid you actually get burned and don't die right away then you have the peeling of the skin the bubbling there's just so many different things that seems like it could prolong your death to the point of actually burning alive it seems like an absolute nightmare and i agree with them i do think that's the worst way to go I mean, that is pretty fucking bad because I've heard like drowning, you almost get to like a euphoric state and you don't really feel the pain of it. Dying sounds, uh, burnt, burning alive sounds bad. I almost said dying sounds bad, but yeah, it does. Burning alive sounds bad. Like the scenario I've had for like the longest time would be uh, what I called the pancake midget or dwarf if we're going to be politically correct on this. It would be being suffocated underneath a three-foot-tall, 500-pound dwarf was my worst way to die. <laughs> That's oddly specific. Though, because at that range, they'd be like pancake in shape because they're so wide. And that just sounds horrible, sweaty, you can't breathe. If I was going to die that way, I, I think that would be horrible. I, I would not want that brought up at my eulogy. I'd want them to say, like, he died a hero or something like that. I don't want them to bring up the pancake dwarf. How would you get yourself in that situation to begin with, though? Maybe I actually was a hero. Like, maybe they were uh, about ready to fall off a fire escape. And I'm like, this is my time. This is when I'm going to, to be remembered for. And then I, I go underneath the fire escape. They drop. And then I drop. Because uh, I have a 600-pound dwarf on top of me. I don't think their legs would work. Honestly, at that weight. That's just me. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to combat that with logical thinking of what would and wouldn't work. That's that's my Sarlacc pit. And I love that that was their conversation as soon as the lift stopped. 
Like at this point, they don't know that they're stuck up there. They're just assuming that the lift operator stopped the lift because it does stop all the time when you're up there. People falling down, stuff like that. So they could have thought all sorts of different things. I'm sure at this point, they're not thinking that they're going to be stuck there for the whole week. But I love that their first instinct was while they're killing time, waiting for the lift to start again, was, yeah, what would be the worst way to die? But it's, it's a completely believable conversation. That's why it's so good about these movies. These are absolutely conversations real people would have. Because I would m- joke about something morbid like that while I'm on a ski lift when I don't think I'm actually going to die. 100%. And that's what gets us going. These people feel real. And even to the desperateness of after it's been like four hours, they're still like making jokes. They, ha- they have to pick us up. There's no way about it that they're not going to do it. What I really like is... They're still kind of talking about how there's no way they're going to forget about them, that, that it's just some weird fuck-up, is when the lights are coming off. And you know in the real world, the lights are just all coming off at the same time. There's, But in this movie, it's like one, and then another one, and then another one. It's like the, the darkness is slowly sneaking up on them until it encompasses them. It actually feels like the situation is sneaking up on them, and then it's got them in their grass and that's when they're really starting to feel it i have it in my notes that scene like that upcoming darkness one light at a time because the sound of the lights going off like one by one is great it's like a really like thick almost like you were flipping a light switch off like you hear the light go off and then you see the darkness getting closer and then you see another light go off and then the sound mixed with like the darkness slowly coming up behind them they don't notice until their light goes off but like the whole build of like light by light by light, it builds tension. And in a movie like this where it's not going to be, you know, any big explosions, there's not going to be any big jump scares, nothing that's going to be taking your eye away. It's literally three people stuck on one chair in the air. And that's a good way to start building the tension. And that's when they kind of realize that, okay, now it might be a problem. And I absolutely love these, like mostly single location horror movies when they know how to do it clever. And this one, they know how to do it clever. One of the weird things for me is immediately after they realize where they're at, that's when like animal instincts come into them. That's when they're taking account of, I'm on some place that's nowhere near a bathroom. I got to fucking piss. And Lynch decides to whip his dick out and take a piss. And Parker is acting like he's being obscene. This is when like she's a good actress I liked her character a lot before the horror moment started. This is when she kind of started to get annoying to me. He's like, yeah, Parker's going to take a piss. She needs to take a piss too. She can't, but like, there's no reason why Parker shouldn't be going right now. And she's making him sound like he's being a jackass. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum from you on this one, because I actually like how much she detests that he's taking a piss. Because she makes it known that she has to pee as well. And it's not until further on into their little dilemma that she finally just relieves herself. That moment was the moment that her will was broken. Like, she knows that she wasn't going anywhere. She can't hold it any longer. And you could see, like, the sadness in her face as she's just kind of peeing. And to me, it builds, like, that moment right early on where she just hates him for taking a piss and then kind of realizes that that's her will breaking later on in the movie. I thought it was really well done. I don't know if it was intentional, but that's how I saw it. And I saw it like as a really good scene because of it. And I thought she acted it really well. She did act it well. And we're going to sound like fetishes going on and on about her pain, but like her pee scene was an emotional scene. I absolutely get that. I just think she was being a little judgmental about the fact that he can pee now. There's no reason for her. She should be like, yeah, go ahead and pee. I wish I could pee as comfortably as you, but go ahead. One thing, we are just kind of skipping all around, but I'd be absolutely worried that I wouldn't get every single drop out and like I get icicles on my dick. It scares the hell out of me. I thought the same thing for her when she peed. I'm like, she's going to get a frozen vagina and she's going to bring a frigid woman to a whole new level with that. I honestly would have peed my pants. It seems like a win-win situation. You don't have to whip it out. You don't have to worry about it being cold. The pee's going to warm up the inside of your pants for a while. I don't know. I I can't imagine whipping it out and just plopping it over the edge like that. But then you're going to get dicksicles. I don't know what you're thinking. That's insane to me. 
Sean Ashmore, Iceman, made the smart choice on it. Unfortunately, Parker didn't have a choice, and then Dan never even got a chance to pee again. But uh, Sean Ashmore did the smart thing. It's just you got to make sure you get everything fucking out, and then you wipe down, make sure there's no moisture hanging around that area. So the one thing about this movie that needs to happen for it to be a good movie, as a person watching the film, you have to go through those moments of, okay, what would I do in this situation? And the film hits each one of those moments where I was thinking to myself, what would I do in this situation? They do a really good job establishing the characters doing the same thing. So I was like, okay, I could probably jump it. And it's not even five minutes later that Dan, or Zac Efron, goes, yeah, I could jump it. Yeah, the the problem is Dan doesn't do the smart way. Like, I totally know how to jump off this and be all right. He goes full on tilt, shoving himself off the edge, and then no roll with it. He just lets he just locks his legs as straight as possible. They break on impact. There's a way it, it wouldn't a hundred percent work, but if he had like gotten to the point where he's just holding on to the ski lift with his hands and then drops from there, he might have had a chance. But he went from as high as possible and then flat. He went full send. Like, he didn't even think about it. He's like, all right, here we go. And just kind of chucked himself off of the edge as opposed to like lowering himself down. I would have had someone like hold a snowboard and let me get as close to possible before I let go. But he just kind of chucked himself from a, as high as he could be. And I don't know if he thought he was going to like pencil in the snow. But going feet first sounds like not the way to go. Honestly, he would have like, it would have been painful as hell. But his best chance was probably to belly flop and just like take the hole on impact. He would have like bent out of his lungs for a few minutes. But I, I feel like he would have been able to recover and maybe get down the hill instead of breaking his legs. And then what's so great about that is they try to, like, throw him shit to to get his legs, like, tourniquet. And they're throwing them, like, way the fuck in front of him. I would think at least none of them tried to throw behind him where he's not going to have to, like, lean into the brakes on his leg. They're throwing it in front of him, so he's leaning into the brakes every single time he tries to grab something they'd thrown down to him. I love that whole scene though. Like once his legs break, he kind of goes into this like sense of euphoria where you know he's just in so much pain and he can kind of hear the other two in the back of his head calling for him, but it's kind of like muffled, you know, that grenade sound in movies like after they're nearby a grenade, they yeah. kind of have that subconscious hearing thing going on. And then the sounds it makes when they're throwing this stuff, they're throwing it in front of him. So he's having to lean over his broken legs to try to get it. And it's just like this constant like rubbing and like puncturing sound. It, it's great. Like it's so visceral. Like that whole couple like minute and a half where from hitting the ground to putting the tourniquet on is like super intense because the sound and the way they do it and then his like constant motion of going over his already broken legs is just a stressful situation. And it screams like this. He's probably the best actor in this entire movie because you absolutely felt his desperateness in this situation. I felt so awkward for him. Like he notices his legs are broken, he starts screaming. He's like trying to 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 man up and like not scare his girl, but he's absolutely terrified. He knows as soon as his legs break that he's gonna die. So here we find my first problem with the movie. I might get some flack for this because it's a big part of the movie. The wolves. Why are there wolves so close to the ski resort? The wolves don't act like real wolves do, but I'm going to let it go. Although, like, I'll say, before he made eye contact, that fucking wolf was adorable. And then as soon as it starts crying, I like, oh, fuck. There's another adorable wolf scene, too. Later on in the movie, they're, uh, they're doing some wolf stuff. And there's one wolf that's just kind of sitting there and just hanging out with like a little wolf smile. And I was like, oh, that wolf is so cute. But we see the wolves twice. We see them at night, which makes sense. As far as I know, that's when wolves come out. But then we see them the next day again in the daylight. And if you're running a ski resort where people are out constantly, it seems like it would have been a problem to have wolves just coming out in broad daylight. 
I couldn't give a shit. You don't watch movies like this for realism. You watch them for suspense. I don't care that wolves don't act like this. I care that it's interesting and intense. And in his situation, broken legs, wolves are all around me. I'd be fucking terrified. The fact that they get blown away by their worst nightmare, wolves arch enemy is a ski only prolongs his agony. Yeah, because they scared the one wolf away, and they're like, okay, cool, we saved him. And the wolf was pissed off, and apparently when you mess with one wolf, he goes and gets all his friends, because next thing you know, there's six wolves surrounding this guy on the ground, and there's nothing he can do about it. I, I love it, because it's such a desperate situation, and when he's screaming up to, to Iceman, DON'T LET HER WORK! It's definitely the most intense scene in the entire movie. Well, and they don't actually show him getting eaten or torn apart by the wolves. Like, they don't cut to that at all. All you hear is the sounds, and I keep harkening back to the sounds. I absolutely love the sound design in this movie. There's so many scenes where the sound of what's going on is almost better than what's on the screen. Because they're cutting to Iceman and Parker up top, holding each other, you know, not trying to watch what's going on below. But you don't see him getting eaten, but you hear the screams... The wolf sounds are just so intense and like nonstop that it's a tense, stressful situation. It's like mixed with the screaming and then the cuts to Parker and uh, Iceman up top, just kind of trying not to look. It's such a well done scene, despite there's no actual kill on camera. This is why I want to see more of Adam Green's stuff wide awake because uh, he's somebody that understands that sound is. Probably more important than visual. This is something that you pick up from like Sam Raimi and Evil Dead were. Yeah, there was a lot of gore in those movies, but what sold the movie more than anything was the sounds in that movie. He took that, brought it to his own movie, and he understood, I don't have the budget for great gore. I don't have the budget to get all these visual effects that would just blow people's minds, but... I can make some weird sounds. That'll work. That'll sell the horror. And like that's what a lot of horror movies don't understand. Like You'll have somebody where uh, you're going to get an implied kill. They'll bring down the hatchet. And then while they're bringing it down, it just cuts to another scene. Implied kill, not interesting. You, stay, you don't even need to show the kill. You have that person with the hatchet putting it through the head. You make the sound in the head. And like have maybe have like a, the machete or whatever it is jig a little bit, and that would sell it. This is Adam Green understands it that you don't always need to show the gore. If you hear the gore, it's more than enough for it. So Zac Efron dies. The wolves get him. The snow still going. Snows all night, nice and cold. Next day, you see just his fingers. I don't know if that's just what the wolves left was just the fingers, or if it snowed so much that he's now under the snow. But now we're at the point where it's just Iceman and it's just Parker, two people that were acquaintances at most that had problems with each other that now have to kind of work together to try to figure out what's going on. And the next thing that they do is something that I go, I wonder if that would work. Iceman gets the idea that he's going to climb the wire that holds the lift together and is going to climb back a couple chairs and try to get down the ladder that they have at the big setup. Are you strong enough, Josh? Would you, would you go, I could totally do this. I feel like this was completely doable. Like the problem was they they made the excuse that his boots were too heavy, but I would have fucking kicked the boots off. You uh, put your hands up and then you get your legs wrapped around it, and then you shimmy down. You don't put all the weight onto your hands. I don't care that they're saying the wire's sharp. If you're spreading out your weight between your hands and your feet, he would have no problem with this. He could have walked down, slid down the ladder, had no problem. Him and Parker would have lived. They would have probably fucked in Dan's honor, and it would have been just fine. But he, he just couldn't kick off his fucking boots. I don't know. It's a long way to go. I don't have a particularly strong upper body and at least with jumping, you know that you're falling so you can kind of prepare for it. I can't imagine going hand over hands all the way down this super sharp wire and then not making it and falling. So kudos to him for actually making it there. He didn't even have to go hand over hand. He could have held on to one of his skis, gotten his ski over the wire 
and then like gripped it from side to side on the ski and slid down that way. They weren't fucking thinking I could have survived this situation. Okay, and I was going to ask you, if you were in this situation, Josh, what would have been your course of action? That would have fucking worked. Did you have anything better than that? No, that's exactly what I had. I would have gotten my snowboard, I would have put it up above me, and I would have tried to ride it. Because you're going downhill at that point, so gravity should do most of the work where if you just hold on to the snowboard really tight and just kind of ride it down, it should, in theory, if the snowboard doesn't snap in half, it should, in theory, get you where you need to go. Exactly. These people are fucking dumbasses and they deserve to die. What do you think about this? I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. I'm doing big hand motions on this for the backtrack so people don't know that I'm serious about this. If it was me, you, and your wife on the chairlift, I'm Sean Ashmore, I'm, I'm Iceman, there's no way that you're the one that's fucking jumping. I know no, for no, a no fact. I know for a fact that the two of you were to shove me off the ski lift and hope for the best. Like, go get us some fucking help, Josh. And then if my legs broke, you then you decide to put your your skis over the line on the lift. I don't understand why Dan's the one that jumped in the first place. He's hero complex. He wanted to be the one that saved his girlfriend. I love my wife, but I'm not jumping. I'd rather freeze together and just let it be like that. I'm not, I'm not jumping and breaking my legs the first night. Like, my biggest problem with this is that he felt like he needed to do this now. Like, they couldn't survive one night in the cold. I know it's freezing, but he jumped so early that I probably would have waited to shove you off, at least until the next day. We could have all huddled that. together for warmth. And tried to, you know, survive it and see what we see. But yeah, I know you're 100% correct. I would never jump. I would 100% try to convince you to jump first. And if that didn't work, then push. I mean, I am easily manipulated. I, I think that you might be able to get me to jump off without the push. Like, you, you just got to tell, like, RoboCop would do this. I'm like, yeah, RoboCop would do this. And then I'd jump off. It's an awful situation. Like, my wife never wants to go snowboarding with me because she always has a fear that, you know, she's going to fall off the lift. She's not particularly fond of heights. And now watching this movie, now she has a fear that she's going to get stuck up there. That seems like an awful situation to be with, with a girl that you've only been dating for a year. Like, he probably jumped because he didn't want to get into all those arguments that new couples have. All the stuff that you kind of hide and push behind you and never really let out. But he couldn't fathom this thought of being with Parker in this enclosed space and then having to argue with her. Because she gets a little whiny after he dies with Iceman. That was a great part because uh, she tries to blame Sean Ashmore, Iceman, uh, Lynch, whatever name we're calling him. She tries to blame him for Dan's death. And it does not go well because she does not have the wit to go up against him. She fucking comes at him like, it was your fault and, and everything. And then he's like, I knew him my whole fucking life. You knew him for a year, if that. You should have done something. And he shuts her down cold as ice. She starts crying. He won. He he becomes like the, the compassionate winner of that argument. But like, she didn't have a leg to stand on. No, and then she backtracked really quickly, too. Like, once she realized that she was not going to win this argument, she's like, you know what? I'm so sorry. It should have been me. It should have been me. And starts playing uh, victim. Enough to where he goes, no, it's not either of our faults. Let's try to get out of this alive. And then he tries to be the hero. So both guys try to be the hero, which makes sense. Because if you broke your leg and it's me and my wife up there, I would probably do the same thing. So another realism point for this movie oh yeah the, the girl just because of the way society is right now i would hope that i get stuck on a ski lift with a woman that's like yeah i'll jump off i weigh less my legs are less likely to break i'll do it i would hope that i'd be stuck on a ski lift with a woman that's all about women power but in my head i'd have to be the one that would jump first before a woman even even if you had been, done the dumb dan thing and jumped first if it was me and your wife 
I would jump before I told her to jump. I think I might be a coward. You can't, you can't know for sure in this situation. Yeah. Cause you really could just wait it out and see who freezes first, but it does look like it gets pretty cold. And Parker apparently has super thin skin because she made it one night and already had like severe frostbite on her face. She had frostbite within the first 20 minutes. Like it was bad. The absolute worst part of the movie, the one part that kind of gets me to cringe is after uh, her and Iceman have fallen asleep on the lift. She lost her glove. I think she threw it down to Dan because she's an idiot. She has it on the ski lift and then she's slowly ripping her skin away from the, the safety bar because her hand got attached to the ski lift. I kept on waiting for that to happen more because both Iceman and Parker were leaning their head up against poles on the ski lift. I'm like, they're going to have them ripping away skin on their face. They never followed through on that. But the hand was pretty bad already. Yeah, the hand was pretty bad. And I love that she realizes what happened and she's like slowly trying to open her hand before she's realizing that it's actually like frozen to the lift. So she like lifts her hand up and she's like lifting up the whole safety bar and then just like see her like slowly pry away. Ugh, it, it was gross. It's one of those scenes that kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies just because you can kind of sense in your mind how that would feel. It works better than like most gore that we see in movies. Is like I see somebody get uh, their guts ripped out or something like that. It's cool, but I can't really relate to it. I can kind of almost feel my hand trying to rip away from the safety bar, and that I, I have a problem with skin shit. So that bothers me so much more than somebody getting like stabbed in the stomach and their guts ripped out. And it made me kind of tense up after she did it and finally like rips her hand away because then she kind of hides her hand and tells Iceman that there's nothing going on and he just kind of falls back asleep and he has his face like right on the edge of the lift and I'm thinking oh my gosh his face is going to get stuck and we kind of miss out on it because it doesn't get stuck he's fine. Also Iceman has a hood on his jacket at not one point throughout the whole movie does he ever put his hood up. Which seems like a waste. Well, he had a beanie, so that's something. That's more than uh, than Parker had. If we're stuck up there, I'm putting my beanie up, I'm putting my hood up, I'm zipping my jacket so that literally all you can see is my eyes. I'm definitely not throwing you a glove. If you jumped off, I'm definitely not throwing you a glove. I don't care if your legs are bleeding. If both your legs are broken, I'm assuming that you're already dead. I'm not wasting my glove to try to help you make a tourniquet. You don't use a glove for a tourniquet. You just, like, you stick the glove over the bone, and then you got, like, glove legs, and it's perfectly fine. You're just collecting the blood into the glove, and it goes right back in the circular system. I'm kind of offended. I would give you, like, my gloves and my boot, man. <laughs> Thanks. I would throw you a ski pole so you could fight off the wolves. Well, I'd hope that you do it better than her. Sean Ashmore... Finally, like, he climbs the line down to the next ski lift, gets, finally gets to a point where he can climb down a ladder, and he asks her to throw him a pole so he can defend himself against these ferocious fucking adorable wolves, and she pretty much throws it right underneath her chair. Not a good throw at all. He had to go back up the mountain to get the pole. And I like how the wolves were right on cue. Like, we hadn't heard the wolves, we hadn't seen them in a while, and then as soon as his feet touch the ladder and he starts working his way down, that's when you hear the howl and the wolves are right back on it. Like they just sense that breakfast is coming. It's weird because uh, the wolves are the main thing I remember about this movie. This is only like the third time I watch this movie. They're only on camera for like maybe 30 seconds this entire movie, but they make an impact on it. Like you feel these fucking wolves. And that goes back to the sound. Because between the howling and the chewy noises that they make and like the growling when they're actually finally making contact, he ends up getting the pole and stabs one wolf. And for like a small second, you're like, he might make it. He's got a weapon. He's running down the hill and they just kind of cut away. You see the wolves chasing after him, but you don't ever see if they actually get him until later on in the movie. But for a split second, you thought Iceman might make it. He's doing that little awkward thing where he's he's only ski, sitting on like a ski pole, not even like a, a snowboard. He's sitting on that. He think he's got it. And then as soon as he starts going down the hill, 
He's let his guard down, and the wolves come after him so fucking fast. You're like, you know he's dead. And then uh, you're pretty much confirmed by that by the fact that uh, Parker decides to take a nap after he's basically been murdered off screen. But uh, the, the chairlift, Sean Ashmore kind of fucked it up a little bit when he went to shimmy down the line. So now it's hanging on by like a screw or something. Which in hindsight doesn't seem like a bad idea. It's just to try to make the actual lift chair fall down. And then maybe it goes lower to the ground and you can fall from that point. It ended up being dumb luck for her that when it fell, it didn't actually just fall crashing to the ground. Because she just kind of sat there and took it. She didn't try to make any evasive actions or jump off. She was just ready to go. And then it kind of just slowly dangled and unraveled and dropped. So it was only like a 10-foot drop. So she was fine. It, it did drop on her leg after she came off from it. And I guess that's why she starts sliding around on her belly, but whatever. <laughs> Which is, to me, is the funniest part. Like, because the lift lands on her ankle or on her boot, so you're led to believe that her ankles hurt. So she kind of just starts, like, belly sliding like a penguin, just kind of slowly down, like, paddling to go further down the hill. And then there's other parts where she's, like, up and walking and climbing over stuff, and then she goes back to the paddle. So, like, at that point, you would imagine that adrenaline kicks in. Like, you're finally on the ground. You finally have a chance to survive. You would think adrenaline would take over whatever ankle injury she had and would make her move faster than the slow doggy paddle down the mountain. I think she could have walked down the whole way. She was being dramatic from the start. She had to justify the fact that she let two people get eaten alive by wolves. And she's like, oh, my ankle hurts so much i got a doggy paddle down this hill when she could have just like fucking skipped down the entire hill i banged my, my shin before i used to play soccer I, people got past the shin guard it hurts you can still fucking walk do you have a problem with the wolves just letting her go because no. she doesn't have like this big escape or anything like that she's just slowly paddled her way down where we see Iceman's body, the wolves are still kind of eating him. Uh, the one cute wolf is just kind of sitting there laughing at everything. Oh. And then they kind of look at her and just go, now nah, you're good. And go back to eating Iceman. I mean, they're full. They've, they've eaten two people. Wolves don't get that kind of meal. I absolutely let it go. Like She, she doesn't have that much meat on her. Like I can understand if it was like Chesty LaRue or something like those look pretty meaty. Those look like something we can eat. She was a conservative-looking lady. She wasn't, like, exposing herself to those wolves. I, I, I totally buy that they would let her slide down that hill. And that's kind of where our movie ends. She kind of gets her final send-off with the wolves. She stumbles out to the road, misses the first car, and then just kind of passes out again. And they finally get her. They pick her up. She goes to the hospital, and that's where the movie ends. I would have laughed my ass off if like uh, she got hit by that truck that was that ended up picking her up. That would have been the perfect ending of the movie. It's just like fuck these three people. She tried and then she gets run over by a car just as she's barely escaped her situation. I would have laughed my ass off. I wish they had gone with that. She crawls like almost onto the street, which in the snow icy road seems like a terrible idea. I wouldn't have seen her. I have terrible vision. Even with my glasses, like she'd be fucking dead. I'd feel bad about it, if that helps. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it would help her in that situation, but as long as you feel some sort of, I know what I did last winter. All right. I think we wrapped this movie up. Is this a bloody good film? 110% this is a bloody good film. I absolutely love this film. I love any movie where I can look at it and go, okay, this is how I would approach this situation, or this is what I think I would try, and then that movie actually does those things. Because there's so many you know, horror stereotypes where the characters do these ridiculous things that no one in their right mind would ever do, which works, but every once in a while, it's refreshing to see something like, I would jump, and then you see them, I can jump, and then they kind of go through all the same thought processes you do. The characters work great together. The script is feels organic. It feels real. 
all the conversations that they have while they're going up the lift, while they're waiting, everything feels like a real conversation, you know, we've had with the guy or with his girlfriend, you know, it's all relatable. It feels real. The sound is absolutely incredible. I will say it over and over again. If you have stereo headphones, watch this movie with stereo headphones. It's like a completely different movie. They have so much focus on the sound of this, and it makes it great. I love this movie. To me, it's a bloody great film. What's funny is I have in my notes, this is the one movie that I wish I had not watched with my headphones on, just because I find Parker's screaming and whining so fucking annoying. Other than that, I agree with 98% of what you said. I fucking love this movie. I forget how fucking intense it is. It is definitely a bloody good film. The sound effects are great. The characters are great. I heard that uh, Sean Ashmore and uh, whoever the fuck played Dan were like actually real friends in real life. So that kind of explains the chemistry. It worked. I absolutely love this movie. We are going to go into more Adam Green stuff just because the I kind of want to see where he builds off of this because I think this is pretty early in his career. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check out Hatchet. I'm pretty sure there's like two or three of them. There's like four of them, I think. I'm sure uh, other podcasts know better than this. I know uh, Buzzkill Podcast has a hard-on for Adam Green, so we're probably making some shit by not knowing them. Okay, spiritual sequel for this movie. You have to have an animal and characters stuck in one location for 95% of the film. What is your spiritual sequel to this movie? I think for me, I hate reptiles. So I like, I hate snakes. I hate referencing Anaconda because that movie sucks. But going through the jungle, like on a vacation, you're in the rainforest, you're walking around, you're going to check out this tree, and next thing you know, you fall in a hole. Why there's a hole there, I haven't come up with yet, but there's a hole in the middle of the rainforest. You're just kind of stuck there. You can't quite reach your way out. And then next thing you know, you hear snakes. I don't know. Do all snakes make noises? I'd imagine you'd be able to hear a snake. I mean, they got a sibilant S, I think. Yeah. So you're able to hear the snakes in my in my movie. <laughs> and next thing you know, there's one snake in there with you. You kind of see it. You're like trying to like kick it away. And then slowly but surely, more and more snakes start making their way into this hole. So next thing you know, you're in this big snake filled hole where you're worried about not being able to eat because you don't know if you can kill a snake you're trying to get out of this hole that's my movie a bunch of snakes in a hole with the person that can't get out not bad not bad i i wanted to keep with the cold in my spiritual sequel i had uh people going to save a bunch of lab monkeys from uh, experimenters or whatever. They're, they're lab monkeys. One of them happens to be Nicolas Cage. Of course. They go to save the monkey. Monkey ends up getting out of his cage. And he fucking rips his face off. I came up with this idea before I knew about that face off was having a remake. So I'm just kind of rolling with this. Monkey rips Nicolas Cage's face off. Despite the fact that Nicolas Cage was in the tr- the entire trailer. He dies in the first five minutes. Nicolas Cage gets his face ripped off. The other actors go into a freezer where they have all the uh, lab experiments and, and like chemicals and shit going on whatever. And now they are trapped in this freezer with these killer fucking monkeys just outside, and they gotta try to figure out a way to get past the killer fucking monkeys and get out of the lab. That's my spiritual fucking sequel, is it's monkeys against people. They're gonna rip Nicolas Cage's face off. One person, he's gonna get his balls ripped off, and of course, the girl ends up getting past the monkey at the end and goes free. That's a good spiritual sequel. It seems like you took this movie and mixed it with face off and mixed it with planet of the apes it's kind of a little bit of 28 days later honestly but i just (laughs) focused on the lab all right josh i think that's it for us today let's talk about next week we're going back into our franchises we're doing another deep dive last time we did a deep dive on sleepaway camp We did the three movies that we could find, and we paired it with The Burning. This time, we're going a little bit different direction. We're going martial arts. We're going Tony Jaa. 
who I absolutely love. We're going to be doing the Ong Bak franchise. So next week, we will be covering the first two films in the franchise, Ong Bak 1, Ong Bak 2. I can't be 100% sure whether or not they have fun, campy nicknames like Ong Bak 2, Teenage Anarchy, or Ong Bak Elephant Warrior. Whatever the case may be, we're covering the first two Ong Bak films. And then later on, we will be doing the third and final Ong Bak film and pairing it with another Tony Jaw film for you guys. The movies are great. Make sure you guys take a listen. Time to roll the credits. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Bloody Good Film Podcast to stay up to date with everything podcast related and to let us know what you think about some of these films that we watch each and every week. As always, big thank you to Soul Grinder for our intro and outro. If you haven't yet, make sure you guys go give their pages a follow at Soul Grinder Official and at Merrillgate. For myself and Josh, this has been the Bloody Good Film Podcast. And remember, be booty, booty. It's all